thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word keys for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with a code word keys. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Optimizing Your Success as an SLP. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. We encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer at the end of the episode or during the episode if applicable. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs podcast and receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. I am a coaching client and subscribe to Fresh SLP. Maddie Teggles receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this episode and coaches for the host through Fresh SLP. Maddie's non-financial disclosures are that she is a member of SIGs 3, 13, and 18. She is the Minnesota Speech and Hearing Association Future Professionals Committee Advisor. And now, here's a little bit about our guest today. Maddie Murray Teggles received her Master of Arts degree in Communication Sciences and Disorders in 1992 from Washington State University. She has spent more than 25 years working around the world as a medical SLP in a variety of settings, has mentored and supervised over 100 students and clinical fellows, and has completed almost, and this is the part I love that you have counted this 24,000 one-on-one hours of skilled intervention. She now lives in Minnesota and is a college professor and clinical supervisor for a CSD program and works almost exclusively with students. She has been a frequent guest speaker on topics such as aphasia, dysphagia, voice disorders, and counseling. Maddie holds a number of nationally recognized certifications. She is a certified life strategies coach and speaker for the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Maddie has a distinct passion for life, and her career is part of that passion. She is the founder and creative drive behind her legacy project, Fresh SLP, a website empowering graduate students and new SLPs to transition into their careers and Badass SLP, a focused coaching group for the more experienced SLP. Maddie and her Fresh SLP team offer guidance through a variety of venues, including a podcast called The Missing Link for SLPs, a membership program, courses, webinars, and live streaming events. Fresh SLP offers a private Facebook community for SLPs to safely ask need-to-know questions, individual coaching, and group coaching. 
Maddie believes that SLPs have the power and the drive to have the careers they have paid for, worked for, and dreamed about for so many years. Welcome, Maddie. Thanks. I am happy, happy, happy to be here. Well, I am happy to be here. You know, that was a little bit of a long bio, but as I was, was. reading through it, preparing it, I'm like, there, there's nothing that I want to <laughs> skip here. I want to say it all because Maddie, you do have such passion and um, that bio speaks to that. So now tell us about your journey as an SLP and how you decided to start Fresh SLP. I have had a phenomenal career as a speech-language pathologist, almost exclusively in the medical setting, recently stepping over the last three years into uh, the higher education and an, an assistant professor. I started Fresh SLP about three years ago when I stepped out of the medical center, and I was a phase one student eons ago when I got my degree and was a writer and when I came home, I had time to sit and write because my computer was open. And so I just thought, my kids are grown. I'm going to start writing and creating a website that grew into coaching. And I, being a professor, I have this really unique viewpoint where I get to see students transition from their educational setting and launch into their careers. It's a magical, very pivotal time. For, for SLPs. And that's why I started Fresh SLP. Well, that's great. And I know those students are so lucky to have you as a mentor. So thank you for all the work you have done for our field and that willingness to, you know, a lot of people would, would say, oh, my kids are grown. You know, it's time for me to take it easy, but not you. You're like, my kids are grown. I'm taking it to another level. <laughs> I've, I've just loved our field. And so many, I hear so many people say this is not the field it used to be. There's the burnout and, and there's so many negative things going on. And Fresh SLP and my work here with Speech Therapy PD is that effort to fill the cup back up for, for speech pathologists. Well, thank you. And I have to comment that I really love your logo. Oranges are my favorite fruit. And there's just something about a fresh orange and it, it speaks so much. So that was very creative. It says a lot in one little orange slice. Excellent. Thanks. I got that when I went to reach in for some orange juice in the fridge when I was trying to think of what to name this. It is crazy how some wonderful ideas are just found in everyday life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. So um, we're going to talk about a lot of different things tonight. Um, you are going to be starting a webinar series on speechtherapypd.com. Is that correct? Yes. 10 series, 10 courses long. 10 courses. That is wonderful. And that starts next month, I believe. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but some of these will um, topics will be covered in that um, webinar series in a deeper dive. So we're kind of giving a broad overview tonight. All right. So why are professional skills so critical for an SLP to know and implement to support skilled intervention? The graduate students that I see are well-educated and the ones that come to me through Fresh SLP, they have this passion, this dream. They now have the educational knowledge, the classroom knowledge but they don't necessarily have the background because they haven't had the careers. They've put themselves through school by working in daycares or waitressing, and they haven't had the opportunities to step into professional settings. I'm overgeneralizing here, but many of the students or fresh SLPs 
want to step into these careers. This is why they want to do what they do. They need and are looking for the professional or the soft skill set, such as conflict resolution, rapport building, time management, self-advocacy. And those are all the things that we're going to be discussing in our 10-part series. It is the pivotal piece that can help that SLP successfully launch and make the most of her or his career. So those soft skills working in, uh, I would say, collaboration with the hard skills. Yes. Okay. Yes. Going hand in hand together, they really complement one another Mm -hmm. and they're meant to create a comprehensive speech language pathologist ready to navigate, maneuver, pivot where they want their career to go. Excellent. Um, So what would you say is the most challenging professional skills for fresh SLPs to develop? From what I have seen, one of the most challenging skills for the fresh SLP to develop is self-advocacy. They are newer to the field. Most of them are younger. They have not built up their confidence yet. And as a society, because we're a, a highly, you know, most of us are women, um, we tend to not always advocate for ourselves. And that is demonstrated as a result. We uh, things are asked of us and we don't always put boundaries up, which is why we get the stress, the burnout, the low pay, why we aren't always recognized as being as important on teams as we really are. So self-advocacy is a skill that we have a whole course devoted to on how to advocate for yourself as an SLP, for yourself as a, a worker, for your patients, for your client. It's a very important skill, but often one of the hardest ones to develop. Uh, what would you say are the the foundations of self-advocacy? I know we're going to get into it more in the webinar, but if you could give us a little a little teaser. Someone who sure. some, someone's listening tonight who has to go advocate for themselves tomorrow <laughs> and they're like, oh, I, need a, I need a little help. What would Maddie say? Understand who you are and where you come from. You have a very unique skill set. And even if you're new in the field, you still have professors that have graded you and passed you through your, their programs. You've collected your clinical hours. You've collected your observation hours. You've passed your test. You've passed your praxis. So understand that you do have, even if you're at the beginning of your journey, that you do have the skill set that you've earned and that you've paid for. Coming from a place of strength is also another approach, understanding that um, you do have something to contribute to whatever setting, whatever team that you're on, recognizing your value. If you can understand where your unique niche or your unique passion or your unique voice comes in on that team. I also, we have a course we're going to be covering in our 10-part series called the Rejection Challenge. Um, it was one of my favorite courses to teach. There is a TED Talk out there. I don't remember the name of the, the gentleman, but it's easily searchable, the Rejection Challenge. And he walks into his apartment building and, and asks another resident a question. And the, the, the resident, his, you know, another, a neighbor turns him down flat. And his body, his language, his voice all accept that rejection. And so the rejection challenge, the course that we're going to cover and touch in this 10-part series is 
learning how to change that mindset. And he did this in his TED Talk. He said, why am I taking this personally when it wasn't a personal rejection? So he starts off by putting little challenges in front of himself, asking for a refill where refills are not posted or free, asking for, you know, can I pet your dog? Can I do this? And then the asks get bigger and bigger. And an interesting thing happens with him. He learns to handle the rejection, not on a personal basis, but on a, nope, that doesn't work for me, a boundary basis. And he accepts the rejection and his posture change, his voice change, and his mental language to himself changes. And so self-advocacy also has that most important part of shifting from a negative mindset to positive psychology. And that is a very key part of advocating for yourself and those you work with and for. Well, uh, and as far as that rejection challenge goes that, you know, the key that you said is not taking it personally. I I think I, I notice in my own kids, you know, they, they have a hard time, even when I self advocate. So let like, let's say we're at a, a restaurant, and I'm like, can we can we just have the table in the corner because it's quieter, or further away or bigger or for whatever reason. And oh, no. <laughs> don't do that, mom, don't do that. I'm like, I'm just advocating. I just, you know, they don't care. They they don't care. And if, if they do Mm-mm. care, they'll tell me no. And if, if they tell me no, I'll say, okay, that's fine. You know, no problem. But right. there there seems to be a tendency to not want to advocate for themselves. And I, I think that's not just in our little microcosm family. I think we, we find that in people can advocate for themselves more easily online, but in person, it's a little bit uh, more challenging these days. But that skill set is is it it blankets our success as SLPs. If we don't have the ability to stand up and advocate, then we get run over and our patients get run over and our families get run over and our colleagues. And so understanding that we need to develop the skill set to stand up and and say what we think. Absolutely. And especially for younger or fresher SLPs or um, people who have just maybe transitioned back into the field, having the ability to self-advocate even with colleagues, even with other SLPs, you know, not only as part of, you know, the team of the interprofessional team, but also on the SLP team. All right. Um, Okay. Another thing that you're going to talk about is stress management um, in the webinar series. So let's talk a little bit about stress management. I think we could all use whatever whatever tips we can these days with stress management. Big sigh on that one. Stress management is probably one of the number one challenges of new and practicing SLPs because stress management is real and in our unique setting maybe it's not so unique of a setting, just in our settings that we practice in as SLPs, being our very nature, we are givers. And the companies, the schools, the medical centers that we work for ask, ask, ask with higher productivity levels, um, higher charting needs, putting more and more of the responsibility on the SLP. And of course, as SLPs from the bottom, we give to our clients, we give to our patients, we give to our students. And who gets pressed in the middle are the SLPs. And that is why 
our stress increases. So we just talked about self-advocacy. Being able to advocate for yourself is an important part of stress management. And four steps that we are going to dive deeper into these, but four steps for stress management is understanding where your stress comes from and understanding your role in the setting. Is it because the 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 clients or the patients are are too demanding and you don't have the skill set for that and you need you're not prepared and you need to go develop more skill set where is your stress coming from or is it coming from the top is it coming from unrealistic demands from our school setting from our medical settings in places like that is it coming from external factors maybe Family life at home is very demanding and adding to the stress because our hearts and minds are at home, yet we're still at work. Um, so identify where you're having that stress and why you're having that stress. And then we feel that stress because those are things that are outside of our control. We can go back to the hospitals and say, you know what, a 98% productivity rate is just not reasonable. And we do, we do that pushback, we do that self-advocacy, and, and we draw those lines in the sand, and we give our patients good enough some days. Some days it's not the best, and we, we can let go of that perfectionism. And we, we give our patients and our clients the good enough, the best that we can on that day, and sometimes good enough is enough. And we, at the end of the day, then need to say, I've done the best I can and let it go and and don't take that home with us. So letting go of some of the perfectionism, understanding what we can control and what we can't control are really important in stress management. And the final piece that is so important is, and I know this is like the hardest thing to do, is take care of yourself first. And I liken it to a car. My daughter <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful girl. She is not engine smart. And so we said, keep an eye on your oil, keep an eye on your oil. And the little oil light would come on and, and she wasn't checking it. And if and then we eventually found out that it had a leak, but she burned through an engine. And that's the same as stress management. If you don't take care of yourself, if your oil levels are running low, what happens if, um, now I love motors, love, 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 love motors, I ride a big motorcycle. If you don't take care of and keep those fluids up in your car, you get a lot of friction in your pistons and your old motor burns out. And it's the same with uh, stress management. If we don't include that important part of self-cares, we will burn out. So understand why we have the stress and where it's coming from. Do what we can to manage our internal controls, things that we have control over, and take care of ourselves. Three key components to stress. Okay. Thank thank you. And I love the analogy of the motor. Um, (laughs) And as you were saying that, I was like, you know, that was a long bio, but we didn't even mention anything about your motorcycles in that bio Mm. and your your, your cross-country motorcycle travels. So maybe we can fit a little bit of that in during the webinar because I think it's really fascinating. But anyway, back to the analogy on stress management and liking Mm -hmm. it to a, a motor. 
that that's really a good one that'll you know stick with us. Yeah, those warning lights go off and people ignore them mm-hmm. in their cars and in their own lives. And if you ignore a warning light long enough, there's going to be consequences. Right. And then it goes back to feeling more out of control. Mm-hmm. Stress management is learning to control what you can control, letting go of what you can't. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. So SLPs who have um, challenging work situations, challenging productivity, and who have a lot of stress, and are and if they're unable to manage that stress for one reason or another, sometimes look and they say, I'm burned out. So what are your recommendations for avoiding burnout, SLP burnout in particular? SLP burnout also comes from some of the same spring that stress management comes from. It comes from the lack of control over things and not taking care of those warning lights going out um, are when they pop up. So burnout is when you consistently do not take care of, of those issues that you need to take care of. And you get to the end where you're just like, I'm done. I have nothing left to give. Some SLPs will say, I, I'm leaving the field. I don't like this field anymore. Some SLPs will continue to grind and 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 just not like it. So one of the keys for burnout, in my opinion, is curiosity. What else can you do that you would enjoy? Where else can you go? What piques your passion? Where do you want your career to go? Where do you want your life to go? What are you going to do with the options and the skill set that you have? And where are you going to create new avenues for yourself? When I started my career, um, I was in a program that did not have a strong voice. I think we had like one course. It was two credits. That was it. And then I practiced for quite a few years without seeing any voice patients. And my first husband had died and I landed in a clinic and they said, do you do voice? And I'm like, not yet, (laughs) but I'll go learn because I do a lot with, uh, you know, the larynx and and everything. And so I went and I, I got ready and I took those courses and lo and behold, Voice is one of my very, very favorite things to work with. And I am now uh, the voice specialist at um, an outpatient clinic on Fridays. I just love it. So be curious where you can go as an SLP in both your career and your life and start roadmapping and and, and figuring out where you want to go and what you want to do. Take some of that control back and and make a difference in your life. You have the power. You're not caught. And it's changing that that feelings of I'm stuck, I'm caught, I don't have any options, and discovering what your options are. There are so many SLPs who private practice, telepractice, uh, some are copywriters. Some have gone to work for insurance companies as, as um, insurance reviewers still in the field. There's a lot of things we can do with our skill set. So are you saying that they're they're doing that on the side, the, the copywriting on the side, or are you saying they're that is they're they're using their SLP skills for insurance writing? Some pick it up as a side gig and some step into it covering insurance from an SLP's perspective. 
Okay. Okay. So like, for example, working for an insurance company and um, working with the SLP claims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. There's also community pet programs uh, where you can be part of a team, but it's a child developmental team where they're not looking specifically for SLP skills, but your SLP skills are a great asset to the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It might be working with uh, Minnesota. Well, I worked with the Minnesota Brain Injury Alliance for a while as an SLP. So it's it's thinking outside of the box of what you can do as an SLP. Now, I never want to lose anybody in our field who's passionate, good, caring about what they want to do. And I'm certainly all for playing well in the sandbox together. And these are our careers. These are our lives. So think of where you want to go. And you've got the power and the ability to do that. People feel burnout because they feel they're caught, because they feel stuck. And so it's changing, changing that table around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Changing the lens that, they, that they're mm-hmm. seeing their career through. Correct. Very, very interesting. Okay. Well, one of our big challenges, whether you st- stay in our field or use our skills um, in another field, no matter where we go, there's always going to be conflict to be managed. Um, which is not necessarily a negative thing. There's, it's that's kind of part of our human existence. And if we can positively manage conflict, then um, hey, wouldn't the world be a little bit of a better place right now? Right. Right. You, it's funny you say conflict is not necessarily a bad thing because when I was growing up, conflict was a bad thing. I was taught you walk away from it, you just avoid conflict at all costs, and now. I I don't look for conflict, but I'm fine with conflict. It gives me an opportunity to say what I want to say. And it gives you an opportunity to compromise and to learn someone mm-hmm. else's perspective and maybe change your own perspective. So it it leads to a it can lead to a more positive outcome than avoidance. Um so now, you know, you were once told to avoid it, and now you're an expert on conflict management. <laughs> oh, I'm not an expert at it. I, it's just, you know, it's just like with the voice, life sometimes throws you curveballs, and you're either going to catch that curveball and pitch it back, or, or you're not. And if you don't, then you're not part of the game. And so conflict, it used to be, I don't know, I've called the, the course, it's, it's conflict resolution, conflict management. It, it depends. Sometimes conflict is just managed. It's not resolved. And that's okay too. Because like you said, the issues are being addressed and sides are being heard. And people have their own opinions. That's a good thing. Yes. Yes. So for a fresh SLP, what are some of your recommendations for conflict management? So I'm one of the first ones is understand what conflict is and where it, it comes from. Why are you having the conflict and what is triggering it? And is it something like maybe poor communication, differing values of interest, scarce resources, personality clashes, those are some of the reasons. So think back why you're having some of those conflicts and see if you can't get not just what the problem was, but go to below the problem. What is the root of the problem? Not what is happening, but why is it happening? I had a wise director, Al, his name was Al, um, 
And we had somebody on the team who every time we had a team meeting, she kept just complaining, complaining, complaining. And he said, you're welcome to complain, bring what you want and bring a couple of solutions. And this required this team member to think not just what the problem was, but really what's causing the problem. And let's come up with some ideas for uh, on how to resolve it. So take a look at what is triggering some of those conflicts and why they're being triggered and, and how those conflicts are manifested. Then understand some of the fundamentals of conflict resolution. So from for that, you need to look at perspectives. And so you're going to try to do things like perspective taking. I do this in one of my classes where we we do some role playing where you might be, and this is going to be part of our conflict resolution course. We're going to do some some case studies where we have a parent who's upset and you as the SLP. Um, a typical one that I've seen is we might have an ASD diagnosis and the parent doesn't want an augmentative communication device introduced to the child. We've had, um, so understand the perspective of that client. I've seen and heard of SLP conflicts on teams where somebody has a different approach to, for example, in my world, treating gender-affirming voice work. So how do you understand each other's perspectives? From an interprofessional medical team, um, maybe you have somebody who's recommending a different diet than you agree with. Or there's a there's just a variety of conflicts. What I've heard of situations where bilingual SLPs are required to write two different reports are the same report in two different languages. And is that, you know, where do you go with that? And so conflict resolution, you're understanding what those triggers are. And then you're really taking time to look at the other person's perspective. And like you said just a few minutes ago, that lens is so, so, so important. Understanding the perspective. Manage your stress while you remain calm. That can be tricky sometimes. My husband's a businessman. And one of the best things that he ever taught me was when you're in conflict resolution or conflict management with somebody, manage your stress, say something, and then wait for a response. So you're trying to understand things and learn from their perspectives. Perspective. If you're always defending your perspective, you're not listening and learning from the other person. So listen, learn from their perspective. And then see if you can't find some common ground. Find a way to talk about the key matters from, here's where the self-advocacy comes in. As much as you listen to them, they need to listen to you as well. And if they're not listening to you, just keep repeating the same script. It's my turn. My turn to talk. Listen to me now. Get those perspective, get those key issues out on the table And then from a non-personal viewpoint, start developing some approaches or strategies to resolving those conflicts in a manner that's agreeable to everybody. Communication is important. Absolutely. And Maddie, you're you're very calm. 
<laughs> I'm, a, I'm a therapist. That's what we do. Now, now, in a conflict situation, do you tend to remain calm or is that something that you have to focus focus on uh, very intentionally? <laughs> <laughs> it's something I focus on. And when I start to get upset, it affects my respiratory system. And I start to just get tight in my chest and my shoulders get tight and my breath gets shorter. I have dealt with anxiety in the past and my anxiety is seated in my respiratory system. And I know this. If you are heading into a big, con and, and the course just breaks this out so much more beautifully. If you're heading into a higher conflict scenario, do your homework. Understand who you are. Understand who you have the conflict with and, and work on managing your behaviors, your, I guess, stress system, because when you're stressed, uh, you get stressed in conflict management and work on managing that. Also work on your plain language or simple language where you're saying just what you mean and intend to say, and then wait. So yeah, I work on my breathing and I definitely work on my calmness. It's a skill. Well, a skill that you appear to have mastered. So we can all learn from you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Okay. So conflict management, let's, let's talk about something. So this is funny. I can remember exactly where I was when I heard this. I was at a Starbucks last year, last summer, meeting with an SLP colleague, and she mentioned the term imposter syndrome. And it was one of those times where I was like, just went on with the conversation, but I filed like, I got to figure out exactly what she's talking about. Well, since then, I've heard it a hundred times. So I don't know if I was just living under a rock before that that fateful day at Starbucks, or if it is just something that has within the last year or so really come to the forefront. So can you talk a little bit about the kind of the history of imposter syndrome and um, your suggestions as to what to do about it? The history of imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes, I can. From your opinion. From your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so imposter syndrome is our first course that we are launching uh, at the end of this month. And it imposter syndrome goes way back to, gosh, I want to say back to 1978, believe it or not. I'm looking in my notes quickly. Okay, so I was living under a rock. <laughs> you might have been living under a rock. It might have been called something different. I just didn't different. feel like an imposter, I guess. No. So a lot of people confuse imposter syndrome with lack of confidence. And when we do an evaluation on a patient, I'll say patient because that's the term I use in my setting. When we do an evaluation on a patient, we do our very best to do a differential diagnosis. So we may have, I may have a voice client. And when I see that on my, my docket for the day, it'll say voice disorder. I have no clue if that's a functional voice disorder, a psychogenic voice disorder, an organic voice disorder. I don't know. But once I do my evaluation, I have a much better idea. Imposter syndrome is much like that. It's, it's a differential diagnosis. It's separate from lack of confidence. Lack of confidence means that you're lacking 
your belief in yourself that you have the skills to do something. And usually it's a base, like I haven't had that course or I don't have a lot of skill or practice at this yet. And I don't have a lot of confidence in myself to be able to do it because uh, students have sometimes troubles with lack of confidence, which is very different from imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a, is a mental wellness challenge. And I say this carefully because I'm not saying that if you have imposter syndrome, 70% of us, they say, suffer from it. I'm not saying you're, you're, you know, you're mentally anything. It's not my realm. What I'm saying is it's a mindset, a positive psychology thing. So imposter syndrome is the chronic shame, guilt. I'm not doing as well as I should be. And that's what brings that on. It's more of a perfectionist. I have to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, I'm going to be found out. Um, and if I'm found out, then, you know, I mean, they're going to see me as a fake or a fraud. Those are some of the comments, negative comments that can run through somebody who suffers from imposter syndrome. Like I'm an imposter, they're going to find me out versus somebody who has a lack of confidence in some, in some area. And we tease both of those out in the course. If you have imposter syndrome, welcome to the club. Many, many, many of us do, and it's a long continuum. Some of us have imposter syndrome once in a while. Some of us have it more than once in a while. And it's learning how to identify if it's lack of confidence or if it's an imposter syndrome. If it's a lack of confidence, identify those areas that you need to shore up, get more experience in, get mentorship in, work with a colleague to give you training. If it's a imposter syndrome challenge, then learn how to change your mindset, learn how to shift into positive psychology, say things to yourself that you would tell yourself as if you were a four-year-old child. Sometimes we are the meanest to ourselves and it's shifting that. I mean, the things we can say in our in our heads, well, that was dumb, that was stupid, da, 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 da learning how to shift it to, I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, why, well, you know, when my first, when my husband died, so oh, you know, I made this mistake. And, and, and she said, you didn't make a mistake. You made the best decision you can at the time. It was a growth opportunity. And so imposter syndrome is about shifting your mindset from negative to positive and going back again, you've got the skill set. you've passed graduate school You've passed your praxis, you've done your hours, you've done your, or you're in your clinical fellow. Don't be scared of what you know, and don't be scared of what you don't know. Don't fake it till you make it. If you have a question, speak up. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be perfect. Well, thank you. So one more question. Uh, that is all very good advice. And I look forward to our your first webinar. I'll actually be moderating that one. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. So is it just a term that has become popular to describe a certain psychological kind of state? Or is it actually a term borrowed from psychology? I think both of those contribute to the how it's used. And I don't think it's always used appropriately. I think Sometimes people confuse it with lack of confidence, 
again, going back to that confidence, not having the skill set, so shore it up versus, you know, more of the negative mindset and the shame and the chronic guilt. Um, it is, it is a psychological term and it, it, it stems from that as well. And in fact, the people who identified it in 1978 were psychologists. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So lots of professional skills that we've talked about, and we're going to talk about a few more, but or one more here. So lots of different skills, professional skills that we've mentioned tonight. Where do you begin? Which, where, where do you start? Which one, how do you decide which one is the most important to, to start to work on? That's a good question. You start with the one where you have most of your challenges with, and you keep track. Whenever I have a struggle in my life, I journal about it. And I will keep track of what I need to keep track of. If I'm trying to lose weight, I'll keep a food journal. If I'm, you know, working on managing my my time, I'll keep a time journal. And so you don't have to identify, say, oh, these are the, you know, these are the 10 courses we're teaching in the webinar and these are where I'm having troubles, but write down where your challenges are and take a look at what you need to to overcome some of those those challenges and operate from your place of strength. A lot of people think, oh, these are my challenges. Those are the ones that I have to target. Mm-mm, nope. Those are the ones you need to be aware of and adjust for by operating from your place of strengths. And so those are the ones, if you're having the biggest problems with conflict management, then find out where your strengths are for conflict resolution and operate from that area. If building rapport is a trouble troublesome for you, then find out where your strengths are and how you're going to target the rapport. If it's self-advocacy, if it's time management, stress management, whatever the area is that you're having problems, identify that area, target your strength, and then build from there. Well, thank you. Good advice. Which brings us to rapport. We haven't um, touched upon that too much tonight. Let's talk about rapport. Why is rapport important? I think we all kind of know that, but I I would love to get your take on why rapport is so important. And um, what is your advice to those who need help in this area? To me, rapport is the SLP secret sauce. We can have the best clinical skills. But unless we're able to connect with that patient, that family, that caregiver, I mean, we've all heard stories of physicians who have horrible bedside manners. And I've worked with just very few SLPs who don't have good bedside manners, I guess, or SLP manners. And that rapport building is imperative to building that relationship with that that client, that patient you're working with, because they need to trust you because you're going to be giving recommendations on how they can overcome the challenge that they've identified and you've diagnosed, whether that is a dysphagia, voice, speech, sound, you know, whatever it is, AAC system, going back to earlier. Um, So that rapport is just critical so that patient will listen to us and believe in us and follow us. And part of the rapport building is empathizing with that patient. Even though we haven't had a stroke, we understand what strokes are. And we understand some of the frustrations that a stroke can can result in. So we want to empathize. We really want to listen. 
we want to paraphrase back to what that patient, what we heard, so they are hearing it back in, in their words in a roundabout way, and also go back to using that positive psychology as part of rapport building. And when we can build rapport, even with our colleagues and other members of our interprofessional team or our school team, that improves uh, the communication overall. So when we say something, people believe and trust and, and understand that we're credible and will value what we say. And that rapport building is its really the secret sauce of being an SLP. I, I love that secret sauce. Um, so true. So true with our, our patients um, and our colleagues. And it really doesn't matter um, what setting you're in. And um, also so important, you know, when we we think of, you know, all colleagues, who, whoever works in, in the building where we're working, you know, taking the time to build rapport. Um, obviously, you got to do your job, but, you know, do the hard skills. But when, when you know, it's the little things and making those connections with um, everyone that you interact with in that setting. Um, I think that's that's very important and can lead to uh, success as an SLP. I, I know uh, when I've taken the time to... Um, focus on that. It's, it's helped me as an SLP, but, you know, also as a, as a person, you know, sometimes you're working with someone who's, um, harder to work with. And usually if you take the time to get to know them, you understand why. Mm -hmm. Again, just like you said, it's going back to why are they this way? Not what are they doing, but why are they doing it? That perspective taking, mm -hmm. And if you validate people, I, Maya Angelou has something like, people don't care until they know that you care. I'm going to slaughter it. But it's, it's, it's that rapport building lets people know you care, mm -hmm. whether it's a colleague, a patient, um, whoever you're working with. I just love Maya Angelou. And I think and she, she would have been okay as long as you had the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if you slaughter it. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> she wasn't one who needed, you know, credit for things. She was, she was happy just to share, right? Right, right. Yeah, that was, she's a beautiful woman. All right. I have a question for you about your coaching. So you have um, mentored over 100 students and um, CFs, clinical fellows, and now you're taking that into your coaching practice. And you've been doing that for a few years now, right? Three, three or four years with the Fresh SLP? The coaching just really got started maybe a year and a half ago. Okay. I became serious about taking some coaching courses and becoming credentialed as, as a coach. So there is rhyme and reason to the coaching programs, uh, the coaching program approaches that I do and the style of coaching that I do. It is career coaching from an SLP's perspective and some life coaching as well. I have another um, coaching site that I do that is, you guys are going to think, I, I just love, I love my life. I love what I do. And it's, it's, it's trauma wisdom coaching based on some of the trauma that I've been through. And so it, it pulls all of these facets in for coaching whoever comes. Did you, um, going through that certification process to become a career coach and a life coach, did you find that you already had some of those prerequisite skills as an SLP? I did. The listening, the paraphrasing, 
The thing that's different between a coach and a therapist, though, is a therapist often provides the the tool chest. So if you have word finding difficulties, here's what you do. If you have a speech sound disorder, here's what you do. If you have a voice disorder or swallowing disorder, here's what you do. A coach is very different. A coach is more from the sidelines and you are the player. It's much more of a collaborative approach and it's much more client-led. And I've coached, I've really had some wonderful conversations in in coaching um, clients. And there's been a wide variety of, of that have come. Some have come trying to figure out where they're going in their careers. I had a woman I met at ASHA. She said, I'm retiring in it like like soon. And I have all the money that I need. I've got, you know, but I, I, what do I want to do with my time? I don't want to get paid anymore because I don't want the, I don't think she said she has all the money that she needs. But she's like, I don't want to get paid for this job anymore. What am I going to do? Because I want to leave a legacy in my life. I have had SLPs at the beginning of their career where they're like, I started off in the school system and I want to shift over to the medical system. How do I do that? I've worked with SLPs where their children are growing up and out of the home and they're getting ready to step back into their careers and they find this to be a wonderful vista on where their career can go. And I've had some SLPs who come with challenges in a rockier start to their careers with interpersonal skills, conflict resolution skills, um, self-advocacy skills, and things like that. How do they get along with team members? How do they interview for a job? Because they just keep missing those job interviews. They don't miss them. They're just not uh, landing the jobs. And so it's really been a a wide wide variety that I've worked with, but all with the SLP um, lens, as you so wisely said. (laughs) Um, well, so I know this might be difficult to do, but, um, thinking of, I, we have a little bit of time. So thinking back to those, um, clients that you have helped coach or those players, um, kid, does, do you have one or two players who stand out as, um, as, as MVPs in, in the athletic model? I do. I, early on in my coaching, I worked with a young woman who was, based in the East Coast. And she graduated with her degree and she wanted to, I'm trying to remember all the details. She wanted, she, she took a job in the school system and she stayed home because she just felt safer being home closer to family where her graduate program was and everything else like that. Her heart, 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 heart was to be in medical centers working with neonatals. That's just where she saw that was everybody. You know, when I meet a first year student and I first, they come and they sit, we're getting ready to start the clinicals. And I say, well, who are you? Where do you want to go? And why, uh, why do you want to become an SLP? And I often ask the guests that I have on my podcast, why do you want to be an SLP? And she had this dream of working with the babies, yet she found herself in a school system for three years. She decided to be brave. And go to the West Coast. She really wanted to go and live out on the West Coast and see the ocean and everything. And she took a position in a skilled nursing facility where she was the only SLP without anybody else in the facility. And she was absolutely scared to death because she didn't have the support. 
She was worried she was killing people. The company promised that she would have, you know, mentorship and a super, uh, you know, guidance when she needed, and, and they just didn't follow through with it. And she, after three months, left that job and went back home feeling like she was a failure. And um, my, I, she just had such a drive for what she wanted to do. She was one of those, we did the, the career coaching and we did um, vision boarding, which isn't a, I'm not, I'm, if you know me, I'm not that creative of person. I'm not artistic at all. I like to write. So vision boardings for me, you're like post-it notes, write down what you want to do. And um, I had her write out 300 of them. We organized them. We created a roadmap. We created milestones. And oh my gosh, it just gives me goosebumps. She identified the courses she needed to take. She enrolled in those courses. She enrolled in um, a pretty comprehensive NICU um, infant uh, swallowing. And she was um, applying for that job. I have not followed back up with her to see if she got it. But she completed her coursework. She completed those extra courses that she needed for swallowing. She did step into the medical setting in an outpatient clinic setting with a medical hospital attached to it. So she was beginning to develop the medical skills that she needed to. She probably wasn't quite ready for that pediatric setting yet because in those bigger settings, you past competency skills, but she was well on her way to actualizing her dream. She was, yeah, she was burned out. She was stuck and she was scared. And by working through, a coach also identifies um, roadblocks and holds you accountable for things. And she just was able to work through all of those and she's living the vision that she saw herself living as an SLP. And I think that's why I've had such a successful career. It's not because I've been lucky. It's been because I've made wise choices, being very focused and um, driven on where I want my career to go and being brave and taking those risks and steps forward. Really establishing that vision and then following it. So Maddie, you work with all kinds of SLPs. So new SLPs to the field, clinical fellows, people changing settings, and you also work with people re-entering the workforce after taking a short or a long break from working as an SLP. So can you think of a case study of someone who you worked with who was re-entering the workforce and tell us that story and maybe a little bit of advice for those who are in that position? I can. She was a very dedicated SLP. When she started her career, she was in the school setting and she really enjoyed the work in the school setting. She enjoyed the children. She then had her own children and took some time off. I want to say about 12 years and was working on re-entering the workforce. And she wasn't sure where she wanted to go in the workforce, if she wanted to go back into the schools, if she wanted to work with AAC systems, or possibly branch into outpatient medical clinics, you know, like pediatric clinics. And so we did some work together, we did some coaching together. And, you know, the coaching is about what you're going to be doing in your future. And she did a lot of exploring on where she wanted to work and what brought her the joy, what she wanted to wake up for in the morning and do. We as SLPs 
really give a lot in our jobs and we're not always rewarded for it. So it's really important that we find settings where we work, where we are internally rewarded as well as externally rewarded. And through working with her, she learned that she did indeed want to venture into the medical SLP setting. We identified some courses that she needed to take. We put her on a roadmap, identified her milestones in her timeline. And this was, goodness, a year and a half ago when I worked with her. And she's successfully re-entered into the work field in an outpatient pediatric clinic, absolutely loving the little baby. She was rocking one on the swing. I think she told me one time working with sensory integration and rhythm and singing and pausing and turn-taking. And I could hear the joy and the fulfillment in her voice. That's an excellent example. Thanks for asking. Well, thank you for sharing. That is so exciting to hear. Good advice, taking that long range approach and looking at that vision and seeing what you want your future to look like and talking to a reliable person like yourself. It's really great that you are offering this service to all kinds of SLPs. I think the accountability piece and the validation piece are what people pull away most from the work we do together, being listened to and hearing it come back. I have to ask in your bio, um, you said you were a worldwide SLP. Where where, where did you work? Um, where have you worked besides Minnesota? Washington State, North Carolina, and Minnesota here stateside. And I've worked over in Great Britain for a little while, and that was wonderful. I have some SLP friends over in Great Britain. Uh, shout out to Stella. And I've worked in Japan. Wow. Wow. Now, did you pursue those opportunities be, um, for SLP or were you moving there um, for other reasons and you you found work there? As uh, Japan uh, was for SLP, wanted to work over there. And so I went over there. I was uh, born on a naval base in Japan. So I have special ties to Japan. My first language, I always say was Japanese, because I had a, a nanny who taught me Japanese and just loved the language, loved the people, loved the culture. My um, first husband was a neuropsychologist. And so when he was finishing up his doctoral work, he had the opportunity to do some postdoc work over in Great Britain. And so he went over as a postdoctoral student doing research, and I went over as a full-fledged speech pathologist and stepped into speech pathology shoes over there. Had a wonderful time. Very different, but very much the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did have an opportunity to interview a voice specialist uh, in Great Britain um, and learned a little bit about the differences. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much the same, but but a, a different uh, organizational format. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but when you come down to it, the, the skills were the same. It was just organized differently. Um, all right. Well, do you have anything else that um, you would like to add? No, just that I believe that this 10-part series that we're working on is going to be a pivotal piece for... SLPs wanting to step into their careers because we also cover things like counseling skills and that's part of the rapport building. Um, you take that whole patient and, and treat what is within your scope to treat and we can counsel as SLPs. Um, we talked about the rejection challenge. We talked about time management. 
team working, team play, being a team player and, and networking. I think these are all such important skills, such important skills. So thank you for hosting this series. Well, um, thank you. In the rejection challenge, you um, are going to actually in all of them, you're going to have a interaction, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Some case studies and, um, and is, are they in all an hour or? or They're all an hour. Okay. Okay. Sunday nights starting, well, Sunday nights starting at different times. I believe I'm, I'm not going to say, I'll say six o'clock central time. <laughs> yeah. about That's okay. Yeah. I know because we're a national company. Yeah. yeah. It just changes. Just, just so whatever check time, it. <laughs> check it, yeah, check it, yeah. check it. And then a few are going to be on Mondays because of different. We have one on Monday because of Easter. Okay. Just one. Okay. But they're all, all the rest of them are on Sundays. Okay. Excellent. Well, Thank you so much. It's been so great talking with you tonight. And Thank you. I really appreciate not only your expertise, but your way of communicating. You really have such a warm presence and you're very understanding. I can understand why you're such a great SLP. So thank you for sharing your passion with us. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.